Blog Talk Radio. program here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm very glad that you joined me. Uh, if this is the first time to listen, thank you very much. We have uh, some other shows posted here on Blog Talk Radio, and we're going to be talking more about Create Distinction. What in the world do you do to stand out and to move up in today's challenging and changing uh, business environment, in today's challenging and changing world, uh, in the, personally and professionally? Uh, if you're a small business owner, what do you do to grow your business? If you're involved with a multinational large organization, our we do a lot of work with those as well. What does it take to stand out and move up in today's challenging and, and pressure-filled and, and uh, hyper-speed type of business environment? Uh, I have a brand-new book coming out. It's uh, going to be coming out here in just a couple of weeks, uh, the first week of March 2013. The book is entitled Create Distinction, What to Do When Great Isn't Good Enough to Grow Your Business. A few years back, I had a book called Collapse of Distinction, and I was very, very fortunate. It was named by about 30 major newspapers as one of the 10 best business books of the year. And so what I did, uh, because of the, the popularity and because of the, the interest in Create Distinction, uh, because of the previous book, is uh, to take Collapse of Distinction, revise it, uh, update it, add a new chapter, add some new stories based upon all the things that I'd learned in the years after the original writing of the book, and so it's, it's really turned out to be pretty terrific. I'm, I'm very thrilled with it, uh, how, it's, how it's working out. And uh, uh, you're going to see it in airport bookstores and at uh, Barnes & Nobles all over the country. So I hope you take a look at it. Create distinction, what to do when great isn't good enough to grow your business. In our short time here together today, we're going to talk about what you need to do to stand out and move up, what you need to do when great isn't good enough to grow your business. If you'd like to call in, uh, you can do so. Uh, we'll, we'll take a look at how we can do that in just a little bit. But um, in the meantime, let's talk about what it means. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that distinction is critical. One of the questions that, that I think is the most important question that any business can be asking today is simply this one. How can your customers tell the difference between you and the competition? If you're looking at it from a personal and individual basis, you know, how can uh, my boss tell the difference between me and everybody else that works here? How, how does uh, the person that I'm dating tell the difference between me and, and anybody else that they might be interested in? What am I doing to stand out and, and, and move up in today's world, whether I'm trying to do that organizationally, whether I'm trying to do that professionally, whether I'm trying to do that individually? Now, during the course of this conversation, we're going to be talking a lot about business, but I would also suggest to you that it can apply to you and what you can do on a personal level as well. We'll take a look at how some of that works a little bit later on uh, in today's program. The reason the book is titled Create Distinction, What to Do When Great Isn't Good Enough to Grow Your Business, is simply because many organizations uh, read the book Good to Great. They took a look at what it would take to try to be a great business, and now you reflect on uh, the results of, of what happened if you followed that advice. And you might find, like uh, Circuit City, that you're out of business. See, in the book Good to Great, he, Jim Collins, the author, identified a few of the great uh, businesses that he found through his research. One of the 11 great companies cited in that book 
was Circuit City, which has gone bankrupt. One of his examples of great financial management and great leadership was Fannie Mae, who probably as much as any organization precipitated the economic catastrophe of the last few years in the housing industry. So obviously those companies were not great. They might have been doing some great things at the time the book was written, but there weren't lasting things that they were doing that would transcend what was happening at that particular point. It got me fascinated with this particular question. What does it take to stand out? You know, what does it take to, to create distinction as opposed to, to momentary success or momentary, quote-unquote, greatness? If you follow those those approaches to create greatness, it seems to me that you're going to be missing out on some of the things you need to do to really make a difference in today's world. There's a lot of groups that do it right. There's a lot of groups that deliver great products, for example. There's a lot of great employees, but there's few that truly create distinction. What's the difference? And I know it might be incredibly frustrating for you if you're doing a good job at work, but you're just not being recognized as one of the ones that are standing out. You know, what does it take to make that happen? Well, first of all, let's talk about the difference between uh, distinction and a term we hear a lot in business, differentiation. Imagine, if you will, that we're going to go in and buy a laptop computer, and we've decided we want to get a laptop computer, and we enter a Best Buy or some other retailer, and, and we see all the laptop computers there. At the bottom of a pyramid, picture the pyramid, picture the base of the pyramid, the, the largest part there at the bottom, you're going to see an area that I would call sameness. Now, think about some of the ones that would fit in there. I would suggest a, a, a laptop manufacturer like Fujitsu or like Acer or Asus, uh, Gateway. Those are the folks who would be down there at the bottom. Now, it's not because they don't make a good product. It's one of the most terrifying aspects of all this. And the reason they're there is not because their products don't work. They make a fine product. The challenge is I can't tell the difference between one and another. It would be impossible for me to come here and to tell you why you ought to buy an Acer instead of an Asus. They seem to be so much the same. What would make a Fujitsu superior or inferior to a gateway? I don't know. They all seem to be about the same. And because I perceive them to be so similar, it's difficult for me to make a determination which one I should purchase. Therefore, if you're dealing at that part of the pyramid with your small business, if you're, for example, a dry cleaners or a financial advisor even in a particular community, the, the problem is if, if I as the customer, if I as the prospect, if I as the client can't tell the difference between you and the others that do what you do, then it's just normal and natural that what I would focus on more than anything else is simply price. And I'm going to suggest to you that is the worst place of all to be, where, where customers and prospects make their decision upon whether or not to use you solely on the basis of how much it costs to do business with you. Move up that pyramid just a little bit, and you'll see another group, Sony and Dell and HP. And by the way, since I wrote the original book, one of the things that's changed is Samsung is a company that was at the bottom of the pyramid. They were in, included in all that sameness. But now, because of things that they've been doing that we talk about in the book, they've moved up to this middle level. They, they, they've moved up to the point of differentiation. Now, the reason differentiation is so important is because I can tell the difference. There, if I walk in a Best Buy, I'm assuming that because of the 
file line of the cameras or the printers and peripherals of HP or, or, or Dell because they'll build it to order. I'm assuming I may have to spend a few dollars more to get that product than one at the bottom of the pyramid. It's, it, it, it's almost subliminal. It's, it's intrinsic in, in the differentiation process that if I perceive that you have an advantage, then I'm willing to pay a little bit more to receive the value. But at the top of the pyramid, that's the point I would call distinction. A buddy of mine, Joe Calloway, wrote a terrific book called A Category of One. And while this is not identical, it is certainly similar in the sense that it is that point that you are recognized at the top. You're the go-to person. And at this particular point for a company or for a product or for a service, price doesn't become quite as important. And, of course, the company that I have listed up here is, you've already guessed it, Apple. Someone came up to me after a presentation not long ago and said, Scott, you don't understand. You know, Apple only has 9 to 12% of the market share depending on whether or not the iPad is included in the survey and, and that. And I, the thing is this, of laptop computers, remember that's our metaphor, of laptop computers that are sold of $1,000 and above, Apple now has about a 94% market share. 94% of the laptop computers sold for $1,000 and above are Apple's. Now, why is that so? Well, because Apple has done an extraordinary job at creating distinction. When you think about the other leaders, the ones that really own their particular market, whether we're talking about Southwestern Airlines or Nordstrom and Department Stores or others, one of the things I'm going to suggest to you is that they create distinction. They find a way to go to the top of the market. It, it means that they are more profitable. It means their, their customers are more loyal. Their clients are more engaged. They find a way to stand out. They know that great isn't good enough. There's got to be something else there that drives the business, and that is distinction. It's critically, critically important. What happens when you've moved yourself and your organization from good to great only to discover that in today's business world, great isn't good enough to create loyal customers and employees? How can your customers and prospects tell the difference between you and your competition? What do you need to do to stand out and move up in order to give yourself some competitive space in the marketplace? Whether you're talking about your, your business, if it's a small business, your division, your department, uh, or you within your organization to achieve your personal goals, your professional goals, your life goals. Those were three of the critical questions that I started asking and that in my business as a speaker and consultant, training company owner, it's the questions I was being asked by my clients and it led to the research and the writing of the of, of this information. Now, when the book originally came out, it was entitled Collapse of Distinction. I wrote it back in 2008. It was published in early 2009. We were going through a period of global economic collapse. Now, fortunately, since that time, we started to recover. And uh, I'm going to suggest not only from a financial perspective, but from one of attitude as well. It seems to me we've developed the outlook that we are going to individually and collectively do what it takes to succeed and not just survive, but thrive, regardless of what the immediate economic circumstances might be. Now, for this reason, I retitled the book Create Distinction, as opposed to Collapse of Distinction. But the opportunity to, to, to relaunch this information has, has just been terrific. An old-timer back in my community where I grew up, I'm, I'm from a small town in southern Indiana, he made an interesting observation to me as we were having a conversation. He said, Scott, it used to be that there were two restaurants here in Crowdersville. 
not only did the food taste different at Ted's than it did at Kern's Grill, but the restaurants just plain felt different. Each was a reflection of the owner's personality. Well, he told me this. I, I, I nodded in agreement. Ted's was the spot that we always went after a ball game. And, and as a high school kid, we'd take our dates there for burgers and fries or just to hang out. And Curran's Grill was the place where the men of the community gathered for breakfast each morning back in the late 60s and, and early 70s. During lunch break at school, I, I sprinted to Curran's Grill so I could join either mom or dad for a quick meal. I'd see I, we couldn't eat all together at the same time because we owned the grocery store across the street. One of my parents always had to stay at the store to run the family business. Now, unlike Kern's Grill, over at Ted's, for Ted Zoman, his restaurant was his stage. The customers were the audience. His smile was as bright as his apron, and his flashing blue eyes and charisma were as much a part of eating there as the cheeseburgers were. Now, on the other hand, Alvy Kern, Ted's local competitor, the owner of Kern's Grill, he would sit in one of his own booths there in the restaurant, or he'd gruffly stand like a statue behind the counter with his arms tightly crossed, seldom engaging in any kind of ongoing conversation. He was an observer while his wife and daughter took care of the tables and the customers. Now, Kern's Grill was really efficient. It was a great place to grab a meal and go. Before you could even exit the door, one of the things I remember is they'd, they'd put your burger and fries in this white sack where they'd place your order. And, and before you even out the door, these small growing circles of grease started appearing on the bag. you got to remember this is before we all knew our HDL and LDL numbers. Ted's, though, was a place that you'd go and, and sit and you'd relax and you'd order a cherry Coke and you'd hang out there because a friend was with you or, you know, because sooner or later one was bound to come in and stay for a while. Well, think back on that conversation I had with the old-timer. He, he was saying that our fast food now is the same as the fast food up the road. Before, you could go to Kern's and grab a burger or Ted's and grab a meal, but now the McDonald's in Seymour is the same as the McDonald's in Scottsburg. The McDonald's was the same from Portland, Oregon to Portland, Maine. The old-timers said, I guess consistency is a good thing, but haven't we reached the point where we've gone overboard? The Walmart where we shop is the same as every place else, and that's pretty much the same as Kmart or Target. They all sell the same items anyway. How many places do you really need to be able to go buy your Tide detergent? My insurance sucks, agent. He sells the same stuff as yours, no matter what companies they work for. One has a screaming duck, and the other has some caveman or lizard. I mean, good hands one place, and others on my side, and others like a good neighbor. But the problem is, I can't tell the difference between one and another. So I know I know why one company is a better neighbor on my side. How do I know that one professional is better than another? Man, those are great questions, right? The fundamental question is, how does somebody tell the difference between you and others who know what you do? I want to suggest if you approach today with a tepid, modest, moderate approach to gaining distinction in your field of endeavor, in your business, or in achieving your goals, here's as clear as I can say it. You better start getting ready. Because unless you become vibrant and committed to making your efforts distinctive, your customers, your colleagues will move on. If you can't find it within yourself to become emotional and committed and engaged and, yes, fervent about differentiation, then you better be prepared to take your place among that vast throng of the mediocre who are judged by customers solely on the basis of price and who are judged by their colleagues solely on the basis of attendance. It's the worst place to be in all of business. If you aren't willing to create distinction for yourself and your profession, in your life, and for your organization in the marketplace, then you better prepare to take your seat in the back. 
with a substantial swarm of the similar, where tedium race reigns supreme. Now, look, I know that sounds pretty dramatic, but if you want to see something dramatic, just drive down the main street of most rural or suburban towns and see the deserted storefronts that once housed businesses of all types. Hard-working people who were committed to be great at what they did, but great wasn't good enough. They now sit silently as monuments to the deaths of organizations that have become casualties because of their lack of distinction. So what do you do? How do you get started? Well, in future shows, we're going to talk very specifically about the four cornerstones of distinction. We're going to talk very specifically about the, the three aspects, the three destroyers of differentiation, those three points that pull you back to the pack like a magnet. And so the challenge has to be to understand how this impacts you and how you can find a way to, to get beyond this. You know, I was giving a speech a while back, and, and a manager of a factory asked me, you know, it's so much easier to lay off factory workers than any other type of employee. I shook my head because I didn't know the answer he was looking for, and I also couldn't believe he could be so insensitive. But he continued, because like a factory worker, there's just so darn many of them, and they're all so much alike. I was stunned at his crassness. But I also had to admit he was somewhat correct. You know, a company can eradicate elements that are indistinguishable much more easily than can cut a component that generates a recognizable difference. If an employee in Bangalore can produce a product or service no different from one made or built in Baltimore, why would an organization seeking to maximize profitability go with the least expensive alternative? Now, don't misunderstand. I realize there are all kinds of social implications and other sensitive issues surrounding outsourcing in this type of question. But notice, from the perspective from which it's being asked, a company seeking to do nothing but maximize bottom line profitability, no matter your occupation, you're threatened with the failure of organizations, managers, leaders, individuals to create distinction. Now, we can understand the organization's decision from the standpoint of a case study, but you and I know it's, it's a heck of a lot different when the job that's eliminated is our own. When the challenges and pressures brought upon organizations from the phenomenon we're discussing here creates a personal impact, it accelerates our need for understanding. It leaves us wondering not just who moved my cheese, but that someone or something has moved our entire careers, our entire lives. So one of the things I want to suggest is that we take a look at what we need to do to, to, to make a difference. The first of the four cornerstones of distinction, and the one we'll be discussing here today, is, is simply clarity. It's absolute clarity. Think back. Here's, here's a song that may play often in your living room. It's the title track of a 1978 album by the legendary rock band The Who. Now, it was uh, on the group's final record with their late drummer Keith Moon, who died in an untimely drug overdose. It was written by Pete Townsend. Let me tell you, this guy's probably still cashing big royalty checks uh, from the song. It was a hit when it was released, but it's better known perhaps because it's been the theme music for many years, one of the top-rated and longest-running TV shows, CSI on CBS, the original CSI. The, the song, of course, is Who Are You? Now, to some degree, I'm going to suggest to you this tune is playing in customers' heads when they deal with you and your organization. What I really want to know is who are you? 
but it makes it so difficult to answer. I mean, I'm asking professionals and managers that question all the time. Who are you? How would you specifically define yourself and your company? Guess what? Most people can't answer that question. See, I'm not asking your title or the company's name or the name of the product you manufacture or the service that you sell. I'm seeking something much, much deeper. I want to know what is compelling about you. What will create points of distinction about you? What will establish a connection between us? And I'm going to suggest to you that most organizations, most individual professionals, most people can't answer that question. They don't have clarity about who they really are. Many organizations and many individuals are so afraid of losing to the competition, they strive to become almost all things to all people, believing it's going to make things more secure. Here's, here's a game I, I like playing. Ask somebody, what do you do? Now, the chances are they're going to respond with a litany of products. I, I do a lot of work in financial services, and one of the things I hear all the time is, well, I insure your future with a variety of mutual funds, annuities, IRAs, and other investment instruments. Uh, I provide total financial solutions, including everything from mortgages to retirement plannings. Or they respond with some hot catchphrase in the industry, like, I'm a wealth manager, I'm a wealth advisor. Well, here's the problem. That answer is not who you are. That answer is what you sell. Now, you can list all the products. You can say something like, I'm a wealth advisor, which, which is maybe a more polished manner to answer. But the fact is, it's the same. It's about what you sell, not what you are. Auto dealers accentuate the accoutrements of the car, believing that constitutes their business rather than a driver's delight. Chefs center on the culinary creation instead of the real purpose of their business, developing and intensifying customer relationships. Pharmacists pontificate on pills because their training is centered on medicine rather than becoming passionate about patients and customers. Who you are is not what you sell. That's not as easy as you might imagine. Bob Engel, who's the chief executive officer of CoBank, based in Denver, it's one of the nation's 25 largest banks and one of the top 10 banks in terms of commercial industrial lending, told me he was astonished to discover how remarkably difficult it is to be precise about organizational clarity. It's just so difficult, he said. He mentioned clarity is a difficult cornerstone because it's not about just saying who you are. It's also about defining who you are not. In other words, it's easy to stand upon generalities and modify them so you don't lose the attention of prospective customers. In the field of financial services we were talking about earlier, many have stated their practice focuses on a precise target so they can understand the needs of that particular group, but then someone comes along that wants to invest with them and, and, and they'll say yes too. Uh, Starbucks got in trouble because they started adding all these different product lines that got in the way of focusing on great coffee. Howard Schultz finally got it when he came back to the company, took over, changed some things, and just simply wrote, without great coffee, we have no reason to exist. So the question is, who are you? What makes you unique and stand out and different and amazing? What, when people say, this is what you are, what do they say? And by the way, if it's a generic, you got problems. You cannot differentiate. A generic, here's what's even more important. You can't differentiate what you can't define. 
if you can't define it, then how in the world do you expect your customers to be clear about the difference that you're making? So how do you become clear? I'm going to suggest in the time we have left a little principle that I've found that, that really helps create uh, clarity as, as the first step towards creating distinction. It's called a high concept. In the old days in Hollywood, they used to tell you the plot of a movie, hoping that you would decide to go see the movie based upon the information that you had about the plot. Well, in today's world, we've come to realize that people aren't going to respond and even have the time to listen to a long, drawn-out plot. So here's what they do. In Hollywood now, they have what's called the high concept. The high concept is a short, powerful, grabbing phrase that interests and engages the audience. Let me repeat that. A short, powerful phrase that's grabbing and will interest and intrigue and engage the audience. The best way to describe this is just, just give you a, a high concept and, and, and you think of the movie. Okay, I'll give you the high concept. You think of the title of the movie I'm talking about. Here we go. Bomb on a Bus. <laughs> Chances are you answered speed. Even though the movie's almost 20 years old and took you two hours to watch, I can say four words and you know what I'm talking about. Shark attacks. Look, if that's Jaws. Think of this. Now it's to the point that if the high concept's compelling enough, it can become the title of the movie. Samuel L. Jackson had a movie a couple summers ago called Snakes on a Plane. What's that movie about? <laughs> Snakes on a Plane, of course. So the question is, what's your high concept. What's the high concept that you have that will make a difference? When, when, when uh, uh, Steve Jobs got up and talked about the iPod, when it was released, Apple didn't describe it as an MP3 player or any of the other terms that competitors in the category of portable music players were using at the time. Instead, Steve Jobs got up, held it up, and just simply said, a thousand songs in your pocket. See, customers don't care about how you do it. They care that you can do it in a way that is distinctive from their point of view. So in other words, I don't care how Domino's gets the pizza to me in 30 minutes. I just care that they can do it. And because they're clear, the high concept, your pizza in 30 minutes, that's who I think of. I, I want a thousand songs in my pocket. I, I want my package absolutely positively overnight, as FedEx said in the very beginning. I don't want to have to fool around with anybody else, as they've said more lately. So the, the questions that you need to ask as you develop your high concept are these three. Number one, what makes your business, or if you're applying this to your personal life, what makes you different from others? Number two, what makes you better than your competition, whether it's at work or whether it's and in the business or it's something in your personal life that you're going for. And number three, what makes you and or your organization unique? Now, the critical factor is this. If you can't answer these three questions, neither can your customers, your employees, your colleagues, your friends. If you can't do it, they can't do it. One quick example. My very close friend of many years, good buddy of mine, Dr. Nito Cobain, is the president of High Point University. Uh, he was a member of the executive committee and the board of directors of the school, the board of trustees of the school. He's also a member of the board of directors of financial giant BB&T, chairman of the board of Great Harvest Bread, and one of the nation's most renowned public speakers. 
when Dr. Cobain was invited to become the president of his alma mater, High Point University, one of the first things he did was develop this high-concept clarity statement because it would be the foundation upon which distinction would be built. Now, imagine trying to get university professors to agree on anything. Imagine trying to get a staff around one central theme when there are so many majors and so many things that, that the university offered but yet they were able to do it. It's a brilliant one that both students, faculty, and parents love. Here it is. At High Point University, every student receives an extraordinary education in a fun environment with caring people. Now think about that for a minute. Every student receives an extraordinary education in a fun environment with caring people. Now, as a parent, wouldn't you like for your child to receive an extraordinary education in a fun environment from caring people? As a student, wouldn't you like to get a great education? But meanwhile, it's a fun environment and people care about you. As a faculty member, what does it say that you have to deliver? An extraordinary education. You have to care about your students and you have fun along the way. So in other words, the, the high concept creates that first cornerstone of distinction, clarity. I want to encourage you to be more clear about what separates you from the competition. And if you can't think of what that might be, what a good place to start to create distinction. As I mentioned earlier, the book Create Distinction is uh, coming out in the first week of March. It is now available for pre-order on Amazon.com. So just simply go to Amazon.com, search for my name, Scott McCain. The last name is spelled M-C-K-A-I-N. And you will be able to uh, click on a button and uh, download uh, or, or pre-order the book. And you can download it on your Kindle or uh, get delivery of the book uh, as soon as it launches. Thank you so much for sharing this time with me. I look forward to talking to you again here on the Create Distinction channel. This is Scott McCain. Thanks for listening. Thank you.